Hi, I'm Nicholas. I'm the resident philosopher for today. What's your name? Hi, my name is Frank, and I am a passing tourist going Amazing. by Bryan Park today. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you decided to stop by and hang out with us, Frank. Yeah. So you, since because this is a bit of a surprise for you, I'm curious. You know, the the topic for today, you may have been told, right, is art as cognition. Oh, you weren't told. Okay, I wasn't told. Amazing. <laughs> so the topic for today is art as cognition. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, and so I'm going to start by asking, what's your first reaction to that, right? When you hear that, what do you think? Well, uh, I'm a little biased because, like, uh, I was a philosophy major. Cool. And um, with a specialty in existentialism and mm. aesthetics. Awesome. So, awesome. Uh, you know, I, I, but it's been many years ago. <laughs> and uh, Once a philosopher, always a philosopher. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> until they become a computer science pe person, <laughs> becomes an entrepreneur. So that, that's actually what philosopher, a lot of philosophers do. And yeah, I, I, that's so I've heard. <laughs> okay. But uh, I really like it because, um, you know, what I do now is I, I'm, I'm involved with sort of art, but art in a practical and a commercial sense. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering if I'm selling out or this is just the evolution of art and cognition. I was also a cognitive science major, too. Oh, wow. So, so this, you're perfect. Yeah, I know. Serendipity, huh? Now. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So let's see. So how, there's just so many great points to kind of dig in here. So maybe I, I want to start by actually asking you, I want to really get to this really interesting question about like this selling out kind of thing. But maybe a good way to start is to ask, so you say you were both, you did existentialism and aesthetics, That's and true. also mm -hmm. cognitive science. That's correct. What, wh like, not to say like why, but I'm really curious about, and, and maybe I'll, I'll just preface by saying the reason I ask that is because some people may be surprised because of the kind of stereotypes that accrue to both of those different, you know, when you think of existentialism, you think of, you know, like, or I know those of us who are like, know a bit more, like, wouldn't, but, uh, you know, this kind of stereotype is, you know, the poet sitting in the cafe, smoking, thinking about the futility of human life, et cetera, et cetera. And you think of the cognitive scientists, you think of the someone, you know, in the labs doing the kind of hardcore data analysis, you know, doing the kind of empirical research. Those two figures, those two stereotypes don't seem compatible, mm. but they clearly are. You're at proof. So what would that interaction kind of mean to you? Well, my experience was when I entered philosophy many years ago, back in the 80s. Yeah. I thought it would be kind of cool. We just, I really had that impression that I'd be in, in a cafe smoking a cigarette, <laughs> looking bored, and, yeah, being, exactly. and being French. <laughs> uh, but then I hit uh, logical positivism. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, okay. And, um, and it's, it actually is not very French at all, no. it's, it's very English. And um, I took the classes. Just, Wow, this is mathematics. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So in that case, that branch of philosophy I thought was really good for computer science people yeah. because it's very formalistic. Um, but I like some more qualitative, much more ambiguous, like epistemology and aesthetics, and uh, and I sort of veered towards that. But I think that in some ways they're connected because yes. when formalism stops, you sort of have to make that leap into something else. Yeah, and um, you know, plus I, you know, I, I like art. I like literature much more than I like sort of logic. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, some people love logic for its own sake. Good for them. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of them. And <laughs> but, but I, what I really like, what you just kind of described is this really interesting closed loop that I find really compelling. Like this loop between like this, like you know, the kind of empirical and the kind of imaginative. This loop between you know the kind of rational and the kind of irrational. Um, the way you described the loop was, you know, you move from 
the kind of the kind of formal kind of aspects of human life, the kind of like nitty gritty kind of empirical mm. data. But like we so so like in an earlier conversation, for example, we were talking about biology and we we're talking about the kind of biological capacities that humans have and how all of human life is kind of rooted in biological programming, etc. But you don't describe human life just by discussing the kind of biological programming. You have to make, as you describe, which I love, like a fitting for an existentialist, you have to make the leap mm-hmm. from the kind of programming to the kind of the ineffable experience of the programming, you know? Mm-hmm. My, my, my kind of perception and experience of the world is, of course, the product of neural activity, but I'm not experiencing the world as a neural activity. I, the neural activity gives me this really mystical, beautiful kind of spiritual experience that we call, you know, human life. Mm. They're there, so they're causally linked, and you need the kind of two of them to work in tandem, right? Right. So that's would you say that's kind of what you were? Oh, I, I totally agree. But you know, back when I went in philosophy in the eighties, it was very uh, they were very siloed. They didn't have uh, cross disciplinary. So a lot of yeah, the philosophy exactly. people, you know, since I was also a cognitive science major, I said I want to do something with memes, and none of the mentors and advisors knew what a meme was back in the 80s. <laughs> and it's from a Richard Dawkins book, which was quoted by Douglas Hofstra yeah. in Computer Science. Cool. And I tried to explain it to my mentor, uh, and he was a contextualist. And okay, yeah, yeah. He tried his best, but this is in the 80s, so it was really early. <laughs> so I came to the conclusion that, you know, maybe philosophy wasn't for me just because mm. it, it didn't make that leap yeah. as, a, as an academic science yet. I think it has now, but... I think it has. Did to. you know the story of Francis Fukuyama? No. He's uh, the head of policy for the State Department. Okay. But previously, he was a PhD at Yale in philosophy. Wow. And then, um, you know, this is back maybe in the seventies. Okay. And then he hit French deconstructionism, and oh, he became boy. depressed. He became <laughs> disillusioned. Yeah, it happens to all of us. And like, that, um, yeah. and then he turned, and he, as he says, like you know, I hit French deconstruction deconstructionism, and um, I turned to nuclear weapons. Because he went to RAN and he got his PhD in, you know, foreign policy disarmament. And he became like the head of policy for this. Wow. And and so I, I sort of went through my own my own discovery. Yeah. That I'm not sure if I really want to have these debates on academic sort of aesthetics and philosophy. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like more of the uh, pragmatic versions of it. But, uh, you know, back when I was in university, I, I met Jacques Derrida. Whoa! That, that, that's how that's old I am. awesome. <laughs> and like you know, my my professors, my friends were really into him. I, I had no idea who he was because you know that's. <laughs> and I, I listened to him, and then like he was okay, but uh, but I remember my mentor, who's a big Dari Da fanatic, says like, I was a little disappointed, and I says, why? Well, he kind of looks like like Vidal Sassoon. He's like, he has nice designer hair. He's wearing a nice sports coat. And says. I was expecting this revolutionary guy with yeah. a crazed look, sort of like a, you know, like, like some a sort of, like a fanatic, like a yeah. radical. But this guy, he looked like he was straight out of a cocktail party, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I I didn't realize what a landmark he was in deconstructionism. No, yeah, but so yeah, that, you know, at, at this time when I was in the university, deconstruction was just basically tearing apart all the departments yeah. in, in universities. That's crazy. So cool. uh, yeah. That's awesome that yeah, like you were there for that. That's so cool. So um, uh, after university, instead of going to law school, which is where philosophers go to yes. become zombies. Correct. That's my backup. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I entered the military. So okay, uh, 
I, you know, intelligence branch, and like you know, and I've been living in communist countries for the last fifteen okay, years. Okay. So it's a practical application of, I guess, philosophy because it's it, it's it has to do with politics as well. But you know, but it's a different kind of orientation. It's a different way of like approaching the world, right? right? Like instead of debating, it's right, either, and thinking, you're like doing. <laughs> it's either that or computer science. So yeah. But one thing I did realize is that. Um, when you can't go into philosophy, you have to sort of turn into not mysticism, but a much more well, some stereotypical, like an Eastern way of looking at things. Yeah. And I think wabi sabi is the solution for everything that you can't figure out. And I really like that. And it kind of, you know, it's great if you're an OCD or if you yeah. feel that things have to be perfect. And I think that you know really changed the way I looked at. It. So I think it is. You can resolve art with cognition by saying, well. You know, it is what it is. So I love. See, I, so two things. First, I've, I so I work on in kind of, not, existentialism is how I got started, and now I work kind of in like formal phenomenology, so like Heidegger, mm. um, like Sartre, stuff like that. Um, and recently, yeah, I've gotten really into classical Chinese philosophy. I'm fully convinced that Zhuangzi like solved all of the problems that like mm-hmm. kind of these like phenomenologists were like caught up in for ve- in very similar. You know, obviously he's now working with Wabi Sabi, like. Mm. He's working with like, but like the concept, conceptual kind of response is very similar, and so that gets me to this uh, second point, which is yeah. So like, let's get to this question of like, I I love the way you just said it. Like, you know, the way to resolve this kind of question of artist cognition is like, you know, well, it is what it is. You know, que sera sera, <laughs> uh, because the way in which philosophers address, turn to something like art, which is like one of the most fundamentally mystical. And like fundamentally weird parts of human existence, like it's bizarre. No, like of course, like every once in a while, you know, you get like the bi- biologist and the evolutionary psychologist try to come up with some like kind of a hard data reason for why human beings create art. And of course, those answers always kind of fail to satisfy, right? We 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 like like we we're saying before, you know, we we get the kind of hard data, but then we need to kind of take this leap into the kind of more you know mystical kind of way. Mm orientations to the world in order to like really think about art but what we get with philosophers is we get they make this leap but they still are really committed to this idea of we need to like solve art Mm. we need to figure out like what is art what are our responses to art why do we respond the way we do right like it's the whole like you 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 know the i believe the the wittgenstein i think he's the one who said it first the carving up the world at its joints right the job of philosophy is to like schematize the world lay it out figure out what all the little pieces do and you know so that we all know what's going on all the time. But that seems to miss something really important about art, right? It seems to miss this, this, the way that art gives us the opportunity to kind of do the stepping back thing you just said. Instead of like analyzing this painting and being like, oh, like, let me, you know, figure out precisely what's going on, like, you know, at, at the level of neural activity, at the level of like, conceptual mapping, you know, at the level of kind of social kind of interaction. Let me like schematize this experience. We could mm-hmm. actually do what, yeah, like the kind of Eastern mystics are telling us to do, which is dive into the experience itself, mm-hmm. right? Don't schematize, kind of like let it be, right? I think that, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty old. Gather around, children, <laughs> let me tell you. And like, um, you know, it's like instead of arguing of what's right or wrong, I, I, you know, I find it the three principles that I've learned personally that I, I think are important is one is... The importance of compassion. Mm. I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess it goes back to existentialism with secular yeah. humanism, but that's really important because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, we're only here for a brief moment of time. Um, 
you should at least be nice to other people and help alleviate the suffering, which is good. Uh, the second thing is that, you know, in terms of moments, just appreciating these little moments mm. that we have all the time. So, yeah. I, you know, I don't believe that there's one final grand finale sort of fairy tale ending. Yeah. It's just a series of moments that we string, that. you know, string together, and that's, that's life. Yeah. And that, you know, enjoy it and embrace it. And, you know, all we have is each other. And I think the last thing is, um, you know, back in the 80s, there was this one weird art movement in New York. And it goes like, fuck art, let's dance. <laughs> Instead of like sort of the living in the abstract and theorizing, is just experience the world for what it is, appreciate it. Uh, don't try to uh, conquer it. And, yeah, and, and deconstruct I like that. It don't and, try to conquer it. Experience yeah. it and then share it. I, I think that's it. Maybe, maybe I've given up. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that is. So I got the signal where uh, we're out of time. And I just okay. think that's the perfect way to end it. Yeah. like Don't try to conquer it. Like live in it. Share it. Mm -hmm. I think that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's good yeah, to it was to great you. to meet you. Yeah. Thank you for coming by. Thanks.